Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. We don't really have a frank conversation because we don't understand the stratifications when it comes to sort of race and identity and culture and class. And you, they don't can't seem to get their heads around the fact that maybe these people think differently to them. Because they're not interested. They genuinely don't care. Yeah. I, I often say that the most socially conservative people in this country are ethnic minorities. Yeah. But that's not a conversation they're willing to have. But you, a white woman, are happy to say that it's not real diversity because she doesn't think the things that you think she should think. And that is so offensive on so many levels. But the thing, she, this kind of person goes to bed at night feeling good about herself. Mm. She thinks, yep, I've, you know, I've put the world to right. I'm now at a point that if you have people like that running the country, every time you see someone who's not white or male or straight, you know to some extent they're a diversity hire and it's actually damaging the mindsets of these people. I never want to feel like a diversity hire because it's so offensive. I'd rather just go back home. I'd rather go back home and struggle with everyone else because that for me, that's not meritocracy. That's, that's an insult to, to my hard work. If you look at the single motherhood rate in sort of black African communities, about 40%, in black Caribbean communities, about 62%. That's, that's a 22% disparity. I mean, the single motherhood rate in the Indian community is 6%. Right? How many sort of primarily Indian-based gangs do you see around the country? <laughs> I mean, There's unless they're about to, uh, uh, yeah, well, yeah, that's, unless they're <laughs> bursting out into song every two minutes. Like yeah. you just, you don't see that. I have a huge respect for Indian and sort of South Asian communities in this country because I think they get it, and I think sort of even Black African families that are you know Christian or Muslim but keep their family intact. I don't think they understand how much of a credit they are to the society and how much really they are holding Britain together. Hello and welcome to Trigonometry. I'm Francis Foster. I'm Constantine Kisson. And this is a show for you if you want honest conversations with fascinating people. Our brilliant guest today is a writer, broadcaster and political commentator, Esther Craker. Welcome to Trigonometry. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. It's been a long time coming. I, I know. Uh, we're big fans of, of yours. Uh, you, you do great stuff. For those people who don't know who you are, tell everybody who are you, how are you, where you are, what has been your journey through life that brings you to be sitting here talking to us? Um, well, I'm, well, I'm Esther. I, I'm a writer and a broadcaster, but I'm also someone who makes a lot of noise on Twitter. So that's probably, <laughs> that's probably where you see me. Yeah. I'll get into these moments where I have to, I have to rant about something and that gets me in a lot of trouble. Um, but I, I moved to the UK when I was 14 from Ghana and it was mostly just for an education. Um, I was here throughout um, secondary school and university. Um, I studied politics and French at the University of Bristol. And I just started working after uni, got a normal job, but I was always very politically conscious. It was something I was very passionate about. I debated all through school and uni. Um, so I was always the kind of person that liked to sort of engage with people intellectually. And how I do what I do now, I got involved with a student grassroots organization called Turning Point UK, which is the UK version of Turning Point US. And it was very much focused on kind of having some sort of conservative outlet for students and young people, because I obviously, you know, in higher education, that's not really a thing. Um, and so I started doing videos for them. I started um, doing interviews um, and I, I just, I felt like I had to be part of a conversation because I noticed things had shifted, you know, from when I moved here in 2010 and I, I never felt like my, my race was now a political statement to sort of post Brexit, BLM, all that. And I felt like, wow, being black is now 
I have responsibilities. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I just think this is very weird, yeah. right? Because I have other responsibilities. I'm trying to live my life. Um, so, but it was something I was very passionate about. I mean, I, I worked in sales after school, so I, after uni. So I would, you know, be making 70, 80 call calls a day and then I will just run and go and do a turning point video or do interviews. So it was very much, I was never really in it for anything other than just pure passion. And that kind of snowballed. So I thought I was tweeting at the wall and then people started paying attention. Uh, but that's basically how it happened. Um, I think one of the moments that I, I realized things needed to sort of shift was I was, I had a friend at uni that, and you know, Bristol, I was really proud of getting to Bristol. Like when my mom dropped me off, she was like, ha, you know, she got three A's. And I was like, mom, you're embarrassing me. Yeah. <laughs> but I wasn't, I was like really happy. Yeah. Um, cool. And I was like, you know, I've worked really hard. Um, I'm very aware that people back home don't have the same opportunities that I have. So I have to work really hard here and make something of myself because I've been given the opportunity, which in and of itself is a blessing. Um, and I had a, a friend say to me, don't you get offended when people really ask you where you're from? And I'm like, do I look Welsh to anyone? Like who looks at me and just thinks this girl is like from the Scottish Highlands? Yeah. Clearly my ancestors come from a hot place. Yeah. Um, but she she thought I should have been offended and she was like, you know, it must be really hard for you as a black woman. And I was like, are you mad? <laughs> do you know how much I've worked to get here? Like, what, what do you mean? Why would you automatically assume? I'm assuming it was hard for you as well because you had to study to get the grades to, you know, be where you are. I would never assume that was difficult for you for whatever reason, right? I just think, you know, she just got down and got on with it. Um, so that kind of was one of my, one of, one of my awakening moments. I became more conscious to the fact that people put certain things on me just because of what they saw. And I was like, that's a problem. Mm. And, yeah. and why, and we have a really weird relationship with race in this country. Yeah. As someone who came from Ghana at the age of 14, just explain to me and explain to the, us and the viewer and the listener why it's weird in this country. Because sometimes it's difficult for us to grasp. I think, I mean, it's even weirder in the US. Every yeah. time, I actually, the most racist abuse I get are from sort of black Americans just abusing me, just calling me all kinds of nigger and coon. I'm like, <laughs> wait, what? I don't even so know. You know when we said you could say anything <laughs> in this country? No, but I think in this country, uh, it's, we don't really have a frank conversation because we don't understand the stratifications when it comes to sort of race and identity and culture and class. Um, so for instance, I always have to point out that sort of a black African um, is different from a black Caribbean person. And if you look at sort of statistics with regard to education, housing, all these sorts of things, you can see clear disparities. That, that, that should mean that you don't, you know, group everyone together. I mean, I hate the term BAME, right? But it should mean that if you're going to have those conversations, you should have, you know, an honest conversation with the facts right in front of you. Because I think the people that try and engage in these conversations, the vast majority really are not interested. They're just trying to virtue signal and say, oh, but you know, you should acknowledge a black person's lack of privilege or white privilege or whatever. And I just think it's not that simple. So when I moved here, I didn't really, I mean, I always say to the credit of the UK, I was very comfortable. I felt very welcome. I never had any sort of instances of racism or anything like that. Um, and I, I tell people that I don't say that because I don't think there's not racism in the world. I say that as someone who comes from a family that's well-traveled. My dad's been to Switzerland. He's been to China. They've been to Malaysia. My family's been all over the place. And they would say the, the worst instances of racism they face are places like China, for instance. Mm -hmm. We don't have those conversations. Um, so I, I, I always say that, you know, the UK was very welcoming to me. I really appreciated having come here because I met people that I wouldn't have otherwise met. Um, and I was never made to feel like, you know, there was an impediment. It just, they just said, get down, get the work done and you will succeed. And that attitude changed around sort of 2016, 2017. And I was like, this, this is weird. I don't really like this because I actually had a conversation with my friend yesterday and she's, she's mixed race, but she looks, you know, black. Um, and she was saying, you know, I'm doing really well in my career, but I'm constantly like pe petrified that I'm a diversity hire. 
And I've had so many conversations like this with people, you know, from my background. And if you, when you know that something about Africans is we just, we just want to work. We just want the opportunity to prove ourselves. That's it. We're not obsessed with race and all of that. And that's not to say that, you know, we don't know whether racism exists or not, but we, we understand the difference, right? We're coming from a place where people can't even dream of the opportunities we have. We just want to work and we just want to prove ourselves. And she was saying that because she has that obsession, now when she sees someone getting hired, that's clearly a diversity hire. She's she's even harsher on them. She's like, ma'am, don't leave your house with your bonnet on, for, for, for goodness sake. You know, put on some clothes, wear a dress well. You know, because we're like, okay, if this is going to be the case, then don't make us look ridiculous. But I don't even, I don't think that's progress. Because I was telling her, I was like, you know, I've, I've had eye surgery before. I didn't really care that the person performing eye surgery was a white man or a Taiwanese woman. I just wanted them to do a good job. And I think people that push these sort of diversity quotas and all of that don't have real problems in life. Because when, you know, it's shit hits the fan, you, you don't care who's sort of behind the, the, in the cockpit of a plane that's about to crash, right? You just want the best person that can make sure you don't crash. Um, well, that's and- why I really enjoy your commentary, Esther, because, uh, you know, Francis, uh, obviously his background, his family being from Venezuela, me being first generation immigrant. And when I look at what you say, I don't think conservative or left wing or whatever, I just think you talk, you just say a lot of the things that most people think that are quite common sense. Yeah. But you're allowed to say them in a way most, many people don't feel able to. This is the thing. And because it drives you're me crazy. a person of global majority. <laughs> I'm a person of color as opposed to a per- What is the opposite of a person of color? A person of no color? Yeah. I, I just, I, anyway. A that's, gammon. Yeah. Or a beige, I don't know, transparent. Um, <laughs> but I get that. And I, it makes me really sad because I'm like, why are you comfortable being neutered in your own country? But then I understand it as well because, you know, when they have families that depend on them, they have jobs, all of that, they don't want to sort of put their foot in it. But I find it really funny that people call me conservative. I, I mean, I am. I'm conservative here and I'm liberal in Ghana. Right. Which yeah. is hilarious to me. Yeah. Like my parents think, oh, you know, she's, she's just as normal. She's a bit, you know, lefty. I'm, like, I'm really not. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so just, I don't care. Um, but that's that's interesting that because I, I say things that most people think is just common sense. I'm, I'm just a super conservative, super right wing. And I, I am conservative in some of my views, but yeah. I just don't think, I, I think to attribute my social commentary to just conservatism is weird because most people, I mean, my friend I was talking about, she's pretty left wing. You know, she thinks exactly the same. She got, she was at work um, the other day and they were like, babe, you know, it's Black History Month next month. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, for goodness sake. Mm. And you know, she, she was just like, oh, she expected it, right? Mm. And it's like, what now? What, what do you want from me? Uh, but yeah. Are you tired of using bulky old wallets, giving you a bulge where you don't want it to be? My old wallet was massive, so it brought all the ladies to the yard, which was a huge distraction and got in the way of my esteemed work on trigonometry. Ridge wallets have an incredible solution for you. This is mine, sleek, stylish, and with an industrial look to it. It can fit 12 cards with cash on the back using a clip like this one or a strap. We've got one for the whole team. I've got one, Francis has one, even our producer Anton has one, but he's from Liverpool, so he flogged his on the black market. The great thing about Ridge is that they give you a lifetime guarantee, which means if you want, you can have only one wallet for the rest of your life. Ridge are so confident in the quality of their product, they will give you 45 days to test drive their wallets. That means you can get the wallet, use it, and if you don't like it, you can return it within 45 days. And that's not all. For every dollar you spent on the Ridge Wallet's website, you'll be entered into a competition to win a brand new 
upgraded Ford Bronco. Or if you can't drive like Francis, then you can win $75,000 in cash. Winners will be announced in October, so get spending. spending. Because we're just such great guys, they're gonna give you 10% off and free worldwide shipping and returns. To take advantage of this incredible offer, go to rich.com forward slash trigger. That's rich.com forward slash trigger and use our special code, which is of course, trigger. It's really interesting because there's this perception in this country as well that if you're an ethnic minority in this country, you're going to be liberal and left. Yeah. They can't seem to get their head around the fact, like my mum, who is South American, you know, Christian, conservative. Yeah. And you, they don't, can't seem to get their heads around the fact that maybe these people think differently to them. Because they're not interested. They genuinely don't care. Yeah. I, I often say that the most socially conservative people in this country are ethnic minorities. Yeah. But that's not a conversation they're willing to have. No question. And, uh, you know, I even, I even, this is why I draw the difference between black Africans and sort of black Caribbeans. Because I say, you know, if you look at the single motherhood rate in sort of black African communities, about 40%. In black Caribbean communities, about 62%. That's, that's a 22% disparity. If you look at sort of cultural um, sort of norms in those communities, they're different. If you look at education attainment, you know, black Africans tend to do better than black Caribbeans. There's so many differences within communities, even sort of Indian communities to Bangladeshi to mm. Pakistani, that if you really want to have that conversation, you need to acknowledge those facts. But people that, you know, are not interested, but just want to virtue signal and show that they're good people, they just sort of belt the same, oh, if you're like Joe Biden, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Mm. Yeah. And I actually had this instance, which really, really annoyed me. And if you know me, I don't get angry easily mm. at all. I'm I'm like, you know, I'm a puppy. Uh, mm -hmm. But I had this lady that I, I'd been on um, a show with before and she's lovely. And I, I didn't attribute, when I met her, any malice to her. I didn't think, and I don't attribute any malice to anyone I have sort of conversations or debates with because maybe I'm naive, but I don't think most people want to blow up the earth or mm. are horrible. Um, but she said <clears throat> during the conservative leadership race, which unfortunately is still going on, mm. um, that- By the time this goes out, it will be over. We already know who's going to yeah, win. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, anyway. but she, she said that, um, she was talking about sort of Kemi Badenoch and all those people. And she said, it's not real diversity if she's using her power to oppress people. Some, some shit, right? <laughs> and I was like, why not give me a good Negro handbook then, ma'am? And she was like, you, you know, that's not what I meant. I was like, no, 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 no. That is so offensive. It's not even funny. There are people in this country that don't care what Kemi Badenoch looks like, but they want this woman to be prime minister. Mm -hmm. She's made it to the point where she can even contest the leadership. That in and of itself is an achievement. But you, a white woman, are happy to say that it's not real diversity because she doesn't think the things that you think she should think. And that is so offensive on so many levels. But the thing, she, this kind of person goes to bed at night feeling good about herself. Mm -hmm. She thinks, yep, I've, you know, I've put the world to right. And I'm just like, you complete cow. How dare you? <laughs> and if you know anything about sort of Nigerians in particular, they're very, they're very proud of themselves and they yeah. work really hard. They really, and I really admire them for that. And I just think someone, her parents are probably extremely proud of her because they think she's worked really hard. She's gotten to the point of notoriety where people in this country know of who she is and admire her politics to the point that they want her to lead this country. And you have this dumb cow, and she is a lovely lady, but she, in that moment she was a complete bitch, to saying that it's not real diversity because she doesn't think the things that you should think. And you have to really think about that. There's no way you can get around the fact that that's just racist and horrible. Um, and that really, that really, really did my head in because I'm now at a point that if you have people like that running the country, every time you see someone who's not white or male or straight, you know to some extent they're a diversity hire and it's actually damaging the mindsets of these people. I never want to feel like a diversity hire mm. because it's so offensive. I'd rather just go back home. Mm. I'd rather go back home and struggle with everyone else because that for me, that's not meritocracy. That's, that's an insult to, to my hard work. No, I totally get it, Esther. And you, you bring up the 
the Tory election thing. And, you know, Liz Truss is going to win. Yeah. Everybody knows this. Um, and I was saying throughout when Boris Johnson was having all his different problems and party gay and he said this and yeah. did this and did that and whatever, I was like, I think he should resign, but I don't want him to. And what I meant by that is the stuff he had done is the sort of stuff that a prime minister should resign over yeah. cumulatively. But I always said, you're not going to get somebody who's better. a better. Mm. You've, and you've made that point. I think you turned, you know, you were critical of Boris pretty early on. Yeah, I think more like sort of last year, early last yeah. year, yeah. But equally, we've ended up in a position where, I mean, if the three candidates were on the ballot, I think you'd probably go with Boris. Probably, yeah. Right? I mean, there, there, there is a section of the Conservative Party that actually want him back because they just think what's happened is ridiculous. Um, and I, I've often said he's sort of the victim of, he, he is he's the architect of his own demise. Yeah, right? completely. Because he had everything. He literally had everything going. But um, one of, who was it? Um, Gove? Gove. Mm. Yeah, he, he was one of the few people very early on that had noticed Boris's sort of character defects and said, this is not the man you want to be prime minister. He's too big picture. He's not good with detail. He's all over the place. And he will take himself down. And he saw it early on. And for... The reputation that he, Gove got at um, in Westminster for being a snake and not loyal and stuff, but he was spot on. And you never really hear people kind of defending Michael Gove because it's not very fashionable. But he was right. Um, and it's it's I I said from the beginning, Boris's strategy was off because one he surrounded himself with sycophantic halfwits, and two he he didn't he didn't have a real vision for this country at the level of detail. Yeah, we'll get Brexit done. Yeah, get Brexit level it. up. What the hell is level up? Yeah. What where? And you know, he, he the people that were supposed to get that job done were sorry, they were not up to scratch. Mm. I mean, the fact that Nadine Dorries is in our cabinet will forever be the <laughs> biggest joke of British history. Mm. I mean, it's ridiculous. But he he took himself down because he didn't understand how politics works. But I also think it's a blessing in disguise because I've long been very disillusioned by our political system. I think that there's so many there's so much wrong with the political party system that we really need a bit more diversity. We don't know what the Lib Dems stand for. Mm. Sir Ed Davey is a complete joke. The Labour Party, I mean, I understand what Keir Starmer is trying to do now because he's accepted he's never going to be sort of that big bombastic personality. Mm -hmm. So he's he's kind of going down a, um, a John Major strategy and making the party more palatable as as, as, um, as opposed to him being a standout character like mm -hmm. Boris was. And the Conservative Party, they're, I think, trying to rein it back and just focus on their core voters and mm -hmm. the people they can win and not really focus on like a catch-all strategy which wouldn't work and this is what happens when you actually try and understand the nature of politics you don't think people in the red wall traditionally would vote for tory anyway so you're not going to try and sort of appeal to them in that way and it's just common sense politics but i think we we really need a change in this country i think our political system is a bit broken um i think there are a lot of people especially young people that just don't care anymore because what's the point mm. i mean two-thirds mm. of seats um, um seats in this country are safe seats anyway so really if you wanted to make a change how are you going to do it and the party system is not the mechanism to do it now. I agree with you. The problem you're going to get, though, is I don't think the party system will change because the two major parties have a... A, a, a stake in a not stake changing. In, yeah. yeah, they have a vested interest in keeping it that way. And so if we focus on where we are and what we actually have, you've got, you've got rid of Boris Johnson and you're going to replace him with Liz Truss. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, no offense to Liz Truss, but, the, you know, I don't think they're in the Kremlin, they're, they're, they're shaking in their boot. Do you know what oh, I mean? Did you see that? She did an interview and she got like Russian geography wrong. And yeah. I just thought, oh. When she was foreign secretary, by yes! the way. Yes. Mm. Right. Anyway, but I said, <laughs> and actually I was about to do a show and my dad texted me saying, do you think Rishi can become prime minister? I was like, 
not no dad why are you messaging me this and he's like oh I think Liz Truss is ugly I don't want her to become prime minister I was like dad you can't say you don't want someone to be prime minister because you think she's a minger that's not how this works um, but I you know what Liz Truss needs to accept a few things one I think the first thing she needs to do is level with this country she needs to give a big speech where she levels she says, look this energy crisis is not going away anytime soon this is not a six month problem this is sort of at least a three to five year problem. Well, you're right. And this is sorry to interrupt just very quickly. Uh, we were watching back an interview we did with Nigel Farage earlier this year. That's what we do with our spare time, yeah. Esther. Yeah. Naturally. No, yeah, he's, he's lovely, actually. Yeah. He's a really funny guy to interview. So he, he's a great person to interview, absolutely. And one of the things, he was recorded me, like a week before the war in Ukraine, I think. It was just as it was about to happen. It was a prophetic. And he was saying, people don't know what's coming. And he was talking about the energy bills. This was before the war in Ukraine. Mm. So this attempt to pretend that this is all about Ukraine, complete nonsense anyway. No, but it's on. true. And I mean, there's a, a clip of um, Trump going viral when he mm. warned that G Germany's um, dependence on Russia, Russian energy is a problem. And they were, he was laughed out of the room. I was like, well, he may be orange, but he does say some things <laughs> yeah. that are on point sometimes. Um, what was I even saying? Yeah, but Liz Truss needs to level with the country. Yeah. That's the first so thing So the energy crisis isn't going away. But it's that's not going point. away. And this is the thing. She needs to be very honest with this country. And I know an honest politician, that's, an, you know, that's a paradox, but it's true. And she also, her team are core because one of the biggest failings of Boris was his team. Mm. He didn't have anyone around him that really kept him in check, that were honest with him, that had the capabilities that you needed to. Someone like Gove should have been Boris's right-hand man. And I know that sounds weird because he didn't even think he should have been prime minister in the mm. first place. But if he had the humility to temper himself and not go down the Chris Whitty route or, you know, silencing people that had questions over lockdown and all of that, he would have still been here with, with all his def with all his sort of flaws. So her team is also really important, Liz Trust. But I also think she needs to go back to the basics. She's from a very liberal wing of conservatism. Mm. So she's not the traditional, I mean, they don't really talk about social conservatism, right? It's not in fashion. You don't, you don't hear any conservative politician other than Jacob Rees-Mogg, but that's because he has like six kids. Mm -hmm. You never really hear them talking about, you know, get married, stay married, have kids, you know, have a traditional family structure. Gender roles are not necessarily a bad thing. You know, actual things that keep the social fabric of this country together, you never really hear them talking about it. And I think actually that's a mistake because you're you're probably going to get a lot of votes from sort of traditional Indian communities by doing that. Mm. Because you're talking about things that no one's talking about, but that's really fundamental to this country. Um, so that's, I think that's kind of where she needs to go. She needs to move, she needs to have social conservatism on the agenda, but she also needs to have I suppose, a real commitment to actual conservatism, sort of fiscal discipline. We need to know what that looks like because what I suspect is going to happen is she's going to unveil the largest sort of assistance package this country's ever seen. And my generation, people at least 25 and over, 25 and between 25 and 50 are going to be like, ah, how am I going to pay for this? <laughs> how exactly is this going to work? Because I don't really want to see my taxes going up. And if you act crazy, I will move. Um, and that's a problem as well because we're not having enough kids. And People my age should be having kids, should be having a home to put the kids in. And we're not really, we don't really see how that's possible. Um, so I think she really has a big task ahead of her. I'm not going to set the bar too high because I think that's a problem we have in our politics. We, the state has expanded so much that there's so many things that comes under the state's remit that you don't expect them to do it properly. But it's just, it's fodder for people to continually whinge and bitch and whine. And it's like, look, I don't really care what you th whether you think uh, you know, pavements should have rainbow flags painted on them, but I would actually like for a burglary to be solved.
you know, or for people to stop stabbing each other. I'd actually like basic policing of this country to work. You're right, I see your social concerns. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not even that, like, I mean, the solicitor strike is in a few days, um, the criminal barrister strike. And I just think this is a disaster, right? And this is happening in a, in a country that's been under conservative leadership for 12 years. How could you possibly let this arm of, of, of our justice system fall to the point where, you know, I think to, since 2006, um, criminal barristers, they've seen a 26% decrease in real pay. That is a disaster, right? Mm. Because these are people that are defending the people that don't have the means to defend themselves. That's a critical part of our, our judicial system. And they've just let that fall by the wayside. And I think this is, uh, this is unimaginable. And that's since 2006. So we're talking sort of mid-Blair era as well. This is not just something on the conservatives, but they've kind of seen it and just kicked the, the can down the road. So Esther, and what does it mean to you to be a conservative? What does that uh, actually mean? Well, it depends where I am. <laughs> if, if I was in the US, I'd be like, I'm probably bang in the middle. Because I, I probably, you know, don't want to be walking around with guns in Walmart, which mm. I've seen, but I'm also like not obviously a leftist crazy. I think being a conservative means having some sort of commitment to a, a decent society and understanding what makes a society work. So I think when I talk about conservatism, I don't necessarily just talk about economic policy, which I think I'm probably more libertarian on than mm. just strictly conservative. I, I, it's For me, it's more about family and social structure because I think that's so important and I don't think we talk about that enough. Like I was having a conversation with someone who was saying, oh, I can't get a mortgage and I can't buy a home. And I said something crazy. I was like, have you thought about getting married? And he's like, well, well, why would I do that? It's like, well, it's two incomes. You know, mm. your, your wagon is stitched theirs. They're legally obligated to like you. <laughs> <laughs> that might be one solution. Yeah. But I just think, you know, there are loads of single people, single young people that are working in London that are wondering how they're going to get on the housing market. But that's really a very tangible solution. But there's so many mechanisms that go around with that. I find it really funny, funny the, the fascinating, the rise of the red pill and the manosphere mm. space and stuff. Um, and I, I look at it. because I was talking to my friend Leigh. I was like, babe, <laughs> I grew up in Ghana. I've had a front row seat yeah. to these sort of intersexual dynamics since I was born. Um, but I, these are the oh, wait, how do you mean? I mean, anyone with common sense knows that like a lot of the things that they're saying is obviously true. Like men liking younger women, it's because they're misogynist. I was like, look, let me tell you a conversation. <laughs> let me tell you a conversation I had. So I was talking to this guy who's, I think he's a Mason. He works, he works with my dad. Mm. And he's 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 Muslim, he's from the northern part of Ghana. And you were saying, oh, you know, Kukwa, that's my gun name. Kukwa, I'm looking for a second wife. I was like, oh, why? Is the current wife doing? I said, no, you know, I just want to add the second wife. Okay, cool. What are your criteria? And he was like, you know, I want someone, she has to be at least 30. And I want her to have at least just one child. And I said, like, oh, okay, why? I was like, because I don't have that money, much money for her bride price. So he knows that he can't afford a premium, like 20 something hot, single, young, childless woman. Do you know what I mean? And, but this is basic intersexual dynamics. And he was like, but she has to be attractive. She can't have a big stomach. He was telling me all his criteria. <laughs> but I'm like, the, and the Red Bull space talks about all these things. I'm like, dude, everyone knows this. Everyone knows if you're younger, hotter, um, sort of more feminine, you come from a good family, you're not a headache to be around and stuff like that. Really, you're- The bright market price goes up. Exactly, <laughs> well, the bright price is the version of like market value or whatever, but yeah. it's true. Yeah. It's tr And I can't believe how many videos that like are online where guys are effectively learning how to be men off the internet. And then me and my brother are just there like, really? <laughs> Are you joking? Like men having, men wanting younger, hotter women or having more than like a side chick or whatever. And it's just like, oh no. And I'm like, babe. Do, do you think as a society, we've just gone nuts when we, you compare? I, I'm really upset. I get really upset when I see like very intelligent people talking about gender pronouns. I, I'm not going to lie. It really upsets me because I just think society is going to look back 20 years from now and think we should have employed these brilliant minds to something better, like furthering humanity.
instead of going on talk shows and arguing what the hell a woman is. And I call my dad. It's like, what's going on there? And I'm like, they don't know what a woman is. <laughs> it's crazy. I'm like, can I come home? Mm. This is absolute insanity. And it's just, I, I think we are really sort of sacrificing br- brilliant minds at the altar of this bullshit. That's a, it's an interesting point. You talk about gender roles and stuff like that, and I almost always agree with the stuff that you say about it. <laughs> almost always. <laughs> almost always, yeah, because you, you make a tremendous amount of sense. Yet here you are, a confident young woman who, who earns a living, who's not married, as far as I know, right? So so how, how, do, how and there'll be lots of other young women like you. Yeah. Some of them will be watching this, probably not many. No, honest, not many, but, but we've yeah, seen the many. demographics, <laughs> yeah. mate. Really, what's the demographic split? Uh, well, see, this is where- White, I don't... male and angry. No. Okay. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not. <laughs> such a fucking idiot. <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. No, the thing is, I don't trust online statistics because, because women often don't want to identify themselves online. So, but it skews towards the male side, yeah. definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's you, YouTube in general. YouTube yeah. in general, right? Uh, but anyway, so there'll be other young women mm-hmm. out there. Yeah. I, I suspect there are yeah. out there, right? You're sounding so much like a dad. Uh, well, I am a dad, mate. Yeah. That's what I am. Who, who are... In your position as well, they they want to have a career, they want to make a good living, like all of that. So, isn't hasn't the world changed? The world has changed, but I think your the way your personal life is like your mini kingdom, right? Mm. I always said that a home with a mother and father, kids, it's a small kingdom, right? A man's house is his castle, and I genuinely believe that. Um, and I I look to my parents because one, there's the, no one I admire more than my dad, basically, mm. and I think I. I think I really hold a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of value in wisdom of the past. So looking to previous generations and seeing what they got right. I don't, I don't necessarily think women being in the workforce is a bad thing. I think the scale that which, which was done really stagnated wages. And I think it was just to benefit big corporations. Um, and I, I do think that is a problem, but I, I, I always, always say I'm not necessarily a career girl, but I would get bored just not doing anything else other than just childcare. Like I would, I would read and do stuff that stimulated my mind. But that's not necessarily, that doesn't mean that I have sort of career ambitions. Like I want to be a CEO. <laughs> I'm not built for that. <laughs> Everyone who knows me knows Esther gets really excited when she discovers a new recipe she wants to try on you. That is my thing. I love like cooking and taking care of people. Um, and I, I just think I'm, most women are just built. We, we, were, we flourish when we have good, healthy, functioning relationships. I think that's what we really want. I don't think we necessarily want to be, most women don't necessarily want to be CEO or have the stress of those high-flying careers. I'm sorry, that, I can't do all that and look hot. That's just too much work. No, I mean, that's, just, that's just too much work. I, I, no, I'm sorry. But I think, you know, the issue, I think there's a lot of, the issues on both sides. I think men and women these days have a lot of, um, they, they don't understand what each other want. And I don't think they have the humility to look for it. Um, so I often say like with my ex, I, I'll be like, what was it like being with me? And, you know, I, I, I genuinely want to know. And they have nothing but positive stuff to say. So I don't sit there and freak out and be like, oh, God, I'm horrible. I'm crazy. I'm, it's just, you know, and I talked to my dad as well. I was like, you know, it just hasn't happened yet. And you don't want to. Who you marry, especially in this day and age where men and women don't need each other in the economic sense, the strict economic sense, where like the man had to go out and work and the woman had no choice but to be married to him. You, you form your, your bond and the nature of your relationship evolves, but that's not a bad thing. That's actually better because you know people are choosing to stay together as opposed to having no, ch- no, no choice but to be coupled together. Uh, my dad also says, choose someone expensive. So uh, his, his- Expensive. <laughs> expensive. He was like, I don't bring a broke man to my house. Uh, <laughs> he's actually said that to me and my yeah. brother. <laughs> so um, his analysis is very interesting. 
But I, I just think it takes a lot of humility on both sides and kind mm. of looking at um, yourself objectively, which most people can't do. Um, I often say surround yourself with people that can be brutally honest with you. My friends can roast me for filth and they thoroughly enjoy it. Mm. But I know it's not coming from a place of malice or mm. from a place of just negativity or jealousy. Um, and yeah, I, I do think, you know, dynamics have changed, but it's if you are constantly working on being better and surrounding yourself with better people, better caliber people, you can't fail. It's impossible. It's an interesting point you made, particularly at the beginning of, of that statement there, Esther, because I think what you're hinting at really is something like my wife is a big fan of John Gray, who wrote Men Are From Mars, Women Are From we yeah. Venus, and yeah. we've had him on the show. Um, and one of the things that she sort of learned over the time that we've been together is there she can do many things, mm -hmm. but there are certain things that make her happy and certain things that don't. Yeah. And... I'm starting to see, like, we had Louise Perry on the show to talk about it. She tweeted this clip today where it's a, it's like an actor, I think. It's, there's like a, a, a pink or a blue-haired woman yeah. from 2022 talking to her in the 1950s and telling her, like, what her brilliant future life will be like. Yeah. And it's like, you're going to go to work and do the home cooking and the cleaning. Oh, no. And the, the, oh, no. And, and basically... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think not. Right. And I, I think quite a lot of people, particularly women, are starting to realize that this idea of having everything really wasn't at the same everything, time. Yeah. at the same time, really wasn't what it was made out to be. Yeah, it's a scam. We've been scammed. But this is the thing. I think, again, I say this is a uniquely Western phenomenon because I think when I go to other parts of the world, we're just very real with ourselves and we're just very honest. I don't have, I mean, if you look at my friendship group, all my friends kind of are similar to me, sort of privately educated. They're not, um, they're from all over the place, Japanese, Kenyan, Indian. Uh, but our family structure, our family setup, if you look at our lives, they look exactly the same, right? And we're, we're exactly the same kinds of people in terms of um, how we see our future. My, one of my best friends, she has three degrees, like from Warwick, Bristol, some very educated. You would see her as the quintessentially career girl. Oh no, she's happy to... When she cooks for me, she's really happy. She has this little white puff dog. You know, she loves being in a relationship. She loves taking care of people. It doesn't matter sort of how far you go up the sort of education hierarchy or the attainment hierarchy. Women fundamentally across the board generally are the same, right? We value our relationships more. We value sort of building with a man more and letting a man lead in certain aspects. My brother's only three years younger than me. When we go out together, this, he just naturally takes the lead. And I'm technically his older sister, but I'm like, you know, what do you want to have for dinner? Or I, I we just we just fall into this role because I know he's more competent. I know he's calmer. I know if any he's six foot. If I can't reach something, he'll just get it. I don't do any DIY. I fundamentally refuse. I don't take <laughs> out the bins. I don't do any of that, right? And we weren't taught that. We we grew up we grew up in you know in Ghana and then we moved here. But it's just something that we've naturally fallen into. I always say when I see someone a guy with his pronouns or his bio, or he says he's a feminist. I'm like, bye. That's just not. I'm just not interested. Because I, I'm not, I'm not, the kind of woman I am will not fit you, mm. fundamentally. I, and I, I often say, and my friends say this as well, Leah gets a lot of shit for saying this, but I don't want to be in a leadership position in my relationship. I don't, I just don't want to. Mm. I don't care for it. I love being in a support role because I think I'm, that's, I'm best suited to do that. I would love to be a mother. I love sort of taking care of a home and I, I buy fresh flowers for the house every week. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. You come and see these a bouquet in front of my house, mm -hmm. but it makes me happy. Mm. Yeah. And I love that. And I love how it, you know, brightens a room and lifts the ambience in a place. I, that's just how I am. I think, and I think most women are built that way. That's why the beauty industry is a trillion dollar industry, mm. right? Beauty and sort of appearance and relationships and all these things matter to us women a lot more than men. 
Um, why is it so controversial to say that? Why is it? Why is it a lot of people don't want to admit this, particularly women? Like, if you were a man saying what you just said, you'd literally be Andrew Tate. Yeah, literally. Oh yeah, yeah. I would be. Yeah, Which you know is, what I mean. I, I, people ask me what my opinion of him is, and I say, Oh yeah, he's great. He's really nice, and I know people that know him, yeah. and they've only said positive things about him. And I just think I don't hang around with idiots. Everyone I keep in my circle, I really respect and I really admire, uh, hold the opinion in high regard. And they're like, he's great. He's lovely. He's polite. He's you know. And I, but you know what I mean. The yeah. way society yeah. views yeah. him because they're not that. real with themselves. This is the thing. And the people that have dominated the conversation are people from a very sort of narrow with a very narrow viewpoint on this on this issue it's obvious it is very obvious anyone even pe parents can tell the difference between their son and their daughter my room has been pink since i, I could remember mm -hmm. everyone comes into my room is like everything is pink i was like yeah my mom decorated it mm. the, the curtains are pink the bed the bed i only have pink bed sheets the walls are pink mm. I, and it's always been i have princess stickers even when i go home to ghana they're still there disney princess stickers um but it's but people people just don't want to be real with themselves and i think the conversation has been so taken over by people of a very narrow viewpoint. No no woman wants a very effeminate man who doesn't like to lead. No man wants to feel like a bitch in his own home. You know, and even to this day, and I don't think it's oppressive, right? I'll ask my mom, oh, can we do this? And she's like, okay, let me ask your dad. That's what the hierarchy looks like. Like he's always worked, she's always been the support system. She doesn't feel oppressed. My mom is nothing, she's definitely not a pushover. It's, and but but the the people that have dominated the conversation like oh women don't want to do this you know what women don't want to do women don't want to work sixty hours a week and then come home have to take care of the kids and then still have to sleep with their husband at night we don't want to do that I'm sorry I want to look hot I want to shit on my husband I want to have kids I want to make sure my family and home my life and then everything extra is a bonus it's a blessing I want to make sure my community and my me and my husband's kingdom is together before I do all the extras and mm. call myself a boss bitch or whatever. But the police <laughs> isn't the problem though, is that that isn't really affordable for the vast majority of women. I think it is. Um, I think w when you say affordable, as in like getting a house and kids. Getting and a house, getting kids, kids are expensive, housing is. You see, people is have made kids expensive. <laughs> Either that or the way I grew up has influenced me a lot. Because if I have a kid, first of all, you're eating. Okay, let me not. Let me, let me measure how I don't think kids need to be expensive, right? My in my in my background, um, you know, it's very normal that when you have kids after they grow to a certain age, you give the kids clothes to your cousin who's just had a kid or whatever. In yeah. terms of you share resources because it's a kid, right? I don't want to see any Burberry tags on a kid's clothes. It's Primark, Primark, and Poundland. <laughs> you know, I, really, kids' costs. I think maintenance-wise should be as minimal as possible. Because one, they'll grow up; two, they won't remember it. And if you want to spend anything on kids, it should be more experienced. I should have married Esther, mate. Because <laughs> <laughs> my son is pretty expensive right now. I, let me tell I you. would wear. I don't care. I mean, I like nice stuff. I'm not going to lie. I would wear like the nicest stuff and carry like a three grand bag or whatever. My kid is wearing Primark to the day they die, <laughs> and I can. I will attest to that because. Probably up until a couple of years ago, I was wearing Primark. If my parents paid for it, it was either M&S on sale or Primark. And my mom would be like, you don't need anything else. Like, what do you fundamentally need? We feed you, we clothe you, your education is important and you're doing well and we encourage you. But that is it. But I think also the structure, the way my parents structured the home is, they are at the top. It's a pyramid. Mm. If they and their marriage is not solid, if their kingdom is not solid, mm. the kids will suffer. Yeah. So they need to make sure that they're okay, their relationship is up top. And then the kids benefit from that structure. It doesn't have to come from money. I mean, if my parents went, and I don't want to picture this because I'd make me want to boil my eyes in bleach, but they went skinny dipping in Bora Bora. I'm happy for them now because I know that they were doing it to keep the house together because they're, they're, they're nourishing and they're fortifying their marriage for the benefit of everyone. And not just us, the kids, but the community at large, the small kingdoms within the big kingdom, which is society. And that's broken up now because we don't really want to talk about that. We don't really want to talk about what men want. And I think men have got a raw deal more than women, actually. Why? 
I went on my brother because my brother he's in a relationship now, but I went on his dating app and I was like, whew, <laughs> this is this is sad. <laughs> he's got one one's like two stone overweight. You have one with blue hair. Someone's got a like a boring. Yeah, you know that thing they use. Okay, I don't know why that's a fashion now, but when I was a kid. The only cows had that thing in their nose. Yeah. You know, I always Septum have the pierce. same reaction. Yeah, I'm just it. like, for what reason? Like, why? My cousin had, I was like, put that shit in your face. Like, I, she, I, she's not allowed to wear around me. Um, but I was looking at sort of the girls going and I was like, wow. And then like 19, 20, you're beautiful. You're intelligent. Speak well. You come from a good home. You're blessed. You have food on, you, you, you go to the fridge and there's food in there, right? You're not starving. You live in a home. You live in the UK. You live in the fifth most developed country in the world. Be effervescent. Be happy. Be light. You know, don't be a raging bitch constantly complaining about microaggressions. But I, I just think, you like why but i don't have that necessarily much of a problem because one i date older i'll be honest <laughs> but also i think men when they're clued up they get clued up properly like they know not to do certain things because it's just unattractive and they have a harder time so i think they have to invest more in themselves to even attract any women as opposed to women that can be look like a complete wildebeest and there's still someone that wants to sleep with her Hey Francis, if you were a member of the public, would you like the opportunity to ask incredible guests like Bill Burr, Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris, Adam Carolla, Brett Weinstein, John Barnes, Douglas Murray, Nigel Farage and Lionel Shriver your own questions? You bet I would. And what do you think the best way to do that would be? Uh, probably stalking, mate. You'd have to corner them in the supermarket, probably run near like the sort of frozen food aisles and then just bark questions at them before they, they can escape. Uh, not the American ones, as they have guns. And you'd have to be extra careful with the females, as that's how I got in trouble last time. Do you really imagine you're going to get Douglas Murray near the frozen food aisle? If you want to ask our incredible guest questions and have access to phenomenal behind-the-scenes content, then you have to be on our locals. That's right, for only $7 a month, you get incredible extra content behind-the-scenes footage, giveaways, and also the chance to be part of an incredible community where you can meet and hang out with like-minded people. You get access to our American vlogs as we travel across the country interviewing our heroes. An extra 20 minutes of our viral Sam Harris episode as he discusses his approach to COVID. We're also going to start doing giveaways of exclusive trigonometry merchandise like this, a poster from our Edinburgh show signed by both of us. And also a House of Lords teddy, which you can only get in the House of Lords, signed by the one and only Baroness Fox. Locals also gives you access to an incredible online community. You can share memes, talk about the latest episode, or even make a new friend. Well, just one. Exactly. More than both of us have, really. People are now doing meetups in their city because they love locals. In fact, some people enjoy it so much, they prefer it over the show. They prefer locals to trigonometry. If I have to get them executed, I'm the one that goes to jail. Right. Go to trigonometry.locals.com. Only $7 a month for all that incredible content. Trigonometry.locals.com. See you there, guys. Esther, do you think we have a fundamental problem in our society where we don't, where we're not honest with one another? Yes, and I think the people that are monopolizing the conversation are—they um, have too much power, and I think they they make it easy for uh, people to be villainized. Right. I, that's the problem. What I'm saying now shouldn't be controversial. A lot of what Andrew Tate says shouldn't be controversial. A lot of what people in my kind of space, I suppose, um, conservative, liberal, but the basics, fundamentals about sort of intersexual dynamics, it shouldn't be controversial. 
But you, like, we're, we're out here having, like, debates, that news articles saying, um, you know, do parents need to get married or should, do do children need to um, be with married parents for the success of the home? I'm like, well, yes. Mm. But why do you even need to ask that question? But it's kind of trying to normalize this idea that anything goes. Right. And the evidence is very clear. Exactly. On what the consequences are for children growing up outside a family home. Versus, yeah. Right. Two parents, what the consequences are. Uh, but we've got to a point, like like I think Francis is getting at, where being honest about these issues is, is it, like you we're say, lying now. liable to get you punished, right? But now, now we're not just being dishonest, we're lying. Yeah. Mm. So there will be, the, you have, there's this section online that really does my head in and they're like, oh, they, they became a delinquent because they were poor. And I really fundamentally disagree with that because mm. I don't think being, being lower middle or whatever, not being wealthy means that you're going to go down a life of crime. Because I was like, well, if that was the case, then most of the, the undeveloped, well, the, developing world would be ungovernable, right? In Ghana, for instance, I feel very safe, right? People are not very wealthy, but there's a family structure there. Because there's a, an authority hierarchy, you know if you go and steal from someone and someone finds out your dad is going to whoop your ass. Like, he will beat you up <laughs> and you will be disciplined, right? The, the, the social fabric is such that you instill morals in people without having it come down to, oh, you know, it's because it's because that person is, is poor. Not the fact that they didn't come from a two-parent household with a solid authority structure that teaches them right from wrong. That is more valuable than investing in the police, frankly. And it's more valuable over generations. Such a good point. See, I, we obviously have covered the issue of, you know, absent fathers and, and all of that quite a bit. But the, the way you put it there oh, uh, is actually makes a, a tremendous amount of sense, which is, you know, if you if you are able to guide society towards having more family stability, yeah. then the amount of money you then end up having to spend on the criminal justice system, the police, the the prisons, the the foster care, all of that, it just it tanks. Mm. And but this this is the thing. So I I often say that that one of the reasons why I behave the way I do in public and I carry myself the way I do, and my brother does, is because. It's not just me. I have a family that are saying, Kukwa, you're representing us. Do you know what I mean? I, I come from this home. I come from a home. C behave like you come from a home, like you were raised properly. So for instance, I was like, you know, I didn't go to carnival because I was uh, doing some work. But I was like, if I go to carnival and someone tries to bend me over and dagger me, hell no. Ew. Why am I going to have a picture of me being daggered and like, <laughs> rope floating on the internet? My parents would kill me, <laughs> right? Or leaving my house in a bonnet, dressing gown and slippers. That is... That's not, it's not just the fact that I would feel embarrassed, but I'm like, God, my, my parents invested so much to raise me in a certain mm. way. And I'm going out there to disgrace myself and embarrass myself. And it's the same with my brother. He would never sort of go out in public, I don't know, dressed like a hoodlum and think, yeah, he's a bad man today. Because he, first of all, I wouldn't let him out of the house. I'd be like, hey, <laughs> young man, <laughs> I will handcuff you to the radiator unless you change. Mm. But, you know, th but there's, that is how you, you keep a society intact. When people know that they come from somewhere, that they have a responsibility on their shoulder, and they, they, the way that they behave matters, not just outside of themselves or the immediate consequences, but as part of a bigger structure. That's how you keep things together, not sort of investing more in the police or telling people everything, anything goes, be yourself. But also, you know, why has crime gone up? Well, we need to just put more money into the police. There will never be enough police officers to, uh, to kind of keep society in check. A large part of that comes from the home and how people are raised. And I think that's what makes the difference. It, it is. It, look. I was a former teacher, blah, 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 blah. But you saw the kids who had trouble, were focusing or concentrating or got in trouble at school. And you were like, no, dad, dad isn't at home. Dad's walked out. Yeah. It's, it's very simple. I mean, the single motherhood rate in the Indian community is 
right? How many sort of primarily Indian-based gangs do you see around the country? <laughs> I mean, There's unless they're about accountants. To, uh, uh, yeah, well, yeah, this, unless they're <laughs> bursting out into song every two minutes. Like, yeah. you just, you don't see that. I have a huge respect for Indian and sort of South Asian communities in this mm. country because I think they get it. And I think sort of even black African families that are, you know, Christian or Muslim, but keep their family intact. I don't think they understand how much of a credit they are to the society and how much really mm. they are holding Britain together. And Esther, so I, I think you're making really good points. Sorry to interrupt. I just, every time we have this conversation, what I wonder is how do we change this? How do we improve this? How um, do we make these things better? Now, obviously you time. making the point is important. You saying what you think is important. And that's why we wanted to have you on because I think your voice is valuable and so does Francis. Mm -hmm. And so do many of the people watching. But what are some of the steps that we can take as a society to get us to... Uh, an understanding, because this is one, when Francis asked you about conservatism, really, I think at the core of what you are talking about is family, family, family structure yeah, religion. and an appreciation that just because you may not have a right in the second, a super logical explanation of why something's worked for thousands of years, maybe it's not necessarily the right thing to throw it out of the window, yeah. right? Mm. So that's where you're coming from. But how do we get more people? And this is why I come back to the housing crisis, right? Because I agree with you. I really do. But I think many people would recognize also that we do have a situation where it's so difficult for young people to pair up, yeah. to get together, to have kids. I hear you, kids don't have to be expensive. But I think that's the first point, the pairing up bit. Yeah. That's yeah. what we need. So I think one is to be an example yourself. Yeah. So I, I think I would feel like a bit of a hypocrite if I'm in my 40s and like never married, never had kids or divorced or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think what I, I place, I think personal responsibility is huge for me personally. And I, I place a huge responsibility on myself and how I behave because I have to stick to the morals and values that I espouse for, to show people that it is possible. So for me, I aspire to that sort of ideal of, of marriage and kids and, and being a good wife and staying together and all of that. And understanding that marriage is not always gonna be easy. I'll have to lean on my parents a lot because I'm like, oh, he left the toilet seat up again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have to sort of- I pray for you that is the smallest of the oh problems Oh my God, uh, no, it, yeah. But you know, lean on sort of the established yeah. wisdom to be able to get through my life. So one is be an example yourself. If you're gonna talk about that, try and aspire, aspire for that yourself. Um, but also I think we should normalize uh, certain common sense things like a man typically doesn't want a woman that's vulgar, tatted up, blue hair, overweight, you know, not feminine, doesn't have a set, doesn't want kids, all these things. We should normalize that. Like, you know, saying, telling people that <clears throat> because they're not attracted to trans women, they're bigoted is, mm -hmm. is quite ridiculous, right? We should normalize traditional family values and traditional roles and we should stop shaming or making women feel like if they don't want to have a massive career, if they want to stay home and take care of their kids and they have to, you know, struggle a little bit in the beginning, that that's fine. Will there not be a part of you? Like you go, I've had this successful TV career. Yeah. I've been on all these amazing shows like Trigonometry. No, mm -hmm. like I've done all this cool stuff and now I'm just a housewife. I don't think I'll ever be just a housewife. I mean, I also pole dance. <laughs> um, so I'd be quite an interesting um, yeah. uh, wife, but I do other things as well, because for me, it's just feeling like I'm being stimulated enough mentally yeah. and physically. Um, so I'll always find an avenue. But the avenue. status stuff you're not bothered about? No, I'm not bothered. About. I mean, to what end? Like, what does it do for me? So far as I'm influencing people in the right way and I'm being an inspiration, I think I'm doing my job. I'm happy, right? If, I'm ha if I have kids and I'm taking care of them and I'm in a happy marriage and I'm an inspiration to people, that's me doing my job. Right, and I think everything else is just an extra, and it's a blessing. But I think looking to yourself and how you structure your life is the first thing. You can't, you know, 
you can't put the world to rights if your life is completely out of whack. That's ridiculous. Um, but I also think, you know, pushing more socially conservative politicians. I think the fact that childcare is subsidized in terms of sort of actual daycares, but stay-at-home mothers aren't, is, is a complete shambles. And I think that flies in the face of everything we want to achieve. And the fact that it's a conservative government that hasn't even appreciated this, this fact is, is disheartening. But that's on a political level, that's how I'd say we'd get, um, sort of get to grips with that. On a personal level, live your life as you say other people should live their lives and, and have strict standards for yourself. On a societal level, we need to just get real. Um, we need to make male-female dynamics, traditional roles popular again and stop, you know, when, when a woman says, actually... I want to stay at home and raise kids or I love cooking for my husband or whatever. Let's stop demonizing her. Let's, let's praise her. Let's, and let's have, let's do a bit more shaming. Let's, let's have about that. <laughs> I, I, I absolutely believe in shaming women that leave their houses in a bonnet or you leave your house. And What's you a like, bonnet? So, so it's a black girl thing. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of just to keep your hair intact while you okay. sleep. You wear it at home. Like it's, yeah. You know, it's, it's something you wear in your house. You're, you're, what you wear at home and what you wear into the public sends a message, right? Yeah. Dress decently. Don't look like a tramp. Throw away your Crocs. You know, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely here for it. I believe in shaming. But I, I have the same standards for men, right? Dress well. There are holes in your trousers. Why? You know, speak properly. Open the doors for women. Be a gentleman. Because then she will treat, she will treat you like the lady she is, mm. right? And she will be kind and caring towards you and feminine. I think if you live your life that way, you are you are sending a positive and powerful message. Um, we need to do a bit more shaming because, and I, I don't really care, but you can see that from my Twitter feed. Like, <laughs> the fact that someone told me they're obese because they're poor. And I was like, how did you get the food if you're poor? <laughs> <laughs> but isn't there also like with that, I mean, there is a certain level, like the, the food that you're going to be able to afford is not high quality. I don't buy that. You don't I, buy I that. don't buy that. And I have a friend, Ricky Gleason, who did an experiment on Twitter because he said he was broke for most of his life and he was also a heroin addict for most of his young adult life. And he's never been overweight. Well, he's I mean, heroin been... does have that effect. No, it's an appetite suppressor. The thing is, he's never been in a situation where he's had plenty or even moderate amounts. He's ve always been very, very poor. Yeah. And he, he was like, you know, you, it's about the choices you make. Yes, fast processed food is cheap, but so is the basics that you need. Uh, my brother is always like, Kuka, why are there so many sardines in this house? Like, bitch, because that's 40p. Yeah. Mm. And it's very healthy and it's very good for you. And I don't need to spend money on sort of McDonald's, which is five pounds, when I can buy 40p um, sardines, buy some yams or potatoes, mash it together, you know, have some sauce or something on the side and eat it and be very happy. I, I cook for myself, I, I buy the bare minimum and I'm good, right? I don't think necessarily because you're poor, quote yeah. unquote, you have to be fat. I just think it's, and also exercise is free. I, the reason why I, I, I live the way that I do is one, because obviously I pulled on, you have to be very fit and I'm always up and down a pole and I always have to go to osteopaths and physio and all of that. But it's also because it's mind and body. If I'm fit and I know I'm taking care of my body, I, I feel better. Yeah. I'm more positive. I'm happier towards people. I'm, I'm more encouraging. Me taking care of myself and me putting in the work to improve minor aspects of my life is a net positive on society because when people meet me I try and make their day better I try and and, and you know just make them happier even if I make them smile even if I tell a joke you know and that's because I I'm in a, the state of mind and body to be able to have a positive impact on society it's not just the fact that people are, are obese right it's a lot of those obese people are on antidepressants a lot of those people have negative sort of ideas of themselves and the negative view of the world. It's a downhill, it's a downward slope. And I, I don't think people understand how damaging it is. Yeah, mm. I don't think they do. Uh, so I want to come back to what you said about uh, childcare, because it's a, it's an interesting point, I think, um, about the trap that we do find ourselves in to some extent, because uh, from a government perspective, mm -hmm. subsidizing women to stay at home with the kids 
from an economic perspective. Would be suicidal. Absolutely terrible idea. And this is the trap. Once you, you know, rightly open up the workforce to women mm -hmm. who want to work, you've you've doubled the size of the workforce or nearly you've stagnated doubled. wages. You, you, you've, you, you, yeah, of course, it has a massive effect on downward pressure on wages, but the economy is growing. And the economy must be growing. But the economy again, must always be A lot of the metrics growing. they use are vanity metrics, right? Yeah. They're talking about trade and all of that. And I'm like, okay, it's trade, but you're buying mostly from other countries. What are you actually producing? Right. Right. So the UK doesn't produce anything. So this is what I'm getting at, right? So because we have one of our first interviews with an economist called David Pilling, who talked about how GDP is a completely useless measure yeah, exactly. of a country's economic well-being. But my point is. If you encourage some of the socially conservative policies that you are talking about, mm -hmm. you are then taking women out back out of the workforce mm -hmm. and suddenly the economy is not growing anymore and we can't have that, can we, Esther? Not necessarily. You force the economy to change. You force the economy to restructure. You force investment to go where it needs to go. You know, you can't have it just... Because the thing is, the jobs most women are doing are not favourable jobs anyway. Most women don't want to do the kind of jobs that they're doing now in a cubicle, you know, office administrator or whatever, right? So it's not like you're taking away high-flying jobs in the first place. But also, I think that it's a societal benefit, right? It's not like the money is going, you need to conjure the money up. Move the money from childcare, from these sort of childcare institutions, to stay-at-home parents. Because you're fortifying the society's social structure. It's better for the kids to actually live in that sort of environment where they have a primary caregiver and they have that attention, but they're also sort of going to be around other kids and all of that. But also... It forces the, the, the economy to restructure, and that's what we need. I mean, I've, I've said since the 1970s around, most Western economies have atrophied, mm. right? People say, like, sort of Trump, Trump's rise was the fact that he said, we're going to get all the jobs back from China. Actually, moving production eastwards is what saved a lot of the jobs in Western countries. Because, no, because that's the truth, because these economies were atrophying in the 60s and 70s. We weren't investing in the right places. I said the UK doesn't produce anything, but we have the second largest services industry, only, you know, second to the US, right? These are things we need to invest in. We need to invest in high, high growth, high tech industries where it doesn't, it's not because women are not there doing the menial jobs they don't want to do anyway that, you know, the society is tanking or the economy is crumbling mm -hmm. or whatever. That's, that's a myth. That's a fallacy. Mm -hmm. And also... A lot of the, the metrics that they use to, to measure growth and success, they're vanity metrics, right? Is your society a success when, society, when you know, homes are crumbling? When people, kids are not growing up in two-parent two homes? Is your society a success when, you know, crime rates are through the roof because people haven't been taught proper discipline at home? They haven't received a backhand ever. <laughs> no, I'm serious. That's the thing. The, these, are, the, these are vanity metrics that they're using because at the end of the day, it benefits multi-national multi, um, corporations. That's, that's, that's the long and short of it. It doesn't benefit anyone for women to be out of the home and not taking care of their families, for, this, for family structures to, to be crumbling. And the perfect example of this is the Indian community in this country. Right. It's a perfect example. And I, I just I don't understand why we've fallen into this. We bought this lie that you, you have to um, keep things as a status quo or else everything will come crumbling down. No, you have to force change. You have to force innovation. It's the same argument I say with the EU. You know, there's no such thing as free trade in the EU. The EU is the largest protectionist bloc on the planet. Right. And because of that, a lot of companies, it's stagnated a lot of companies' ability to invest in innovation and to improve and to compete on the world stage because they don't really need to compete on the world mm -hmm. stage. They have this closed market of people with a certain level of income that can buy their goods and services. They get the cheap sort of raw materials from China or, or the East, and then they just keep ticking along. And I'm like, that's not how you grow. That's not proper progress, right? It's stagnation. So I think it's, it's a complete fallacy. It's, it's such a good point because it, it does feel now like we're working against our own self-interest. Yeah. Yeah. And if you look at a lot of people's lives, they would say that they're not happy, they're not fulfilled, and they're doing something simply because they have to do it.
I mean, and I'm really happy. One thing I am, I am, I am optimistic about is the rise of the manosphere space to an extent. I mean, there are a bunch of con artists there, but I think I, the fact that we're even having real conversations about what men and really men and women really want, at least that's a guide in the right direction. Yeah. So if you mm. think, right, I'm not going to buy the bullshit that I've been sold about being a boss babe or, you know, a guy that sleeps his way. What is a boss babe? I'm getting home. This is crap on Instagram. I keep saying it. I'm a boss babe. I'm like, hey, leave me alone. Yeah. I don't want to hear that crap. Like, yeah. I, I don't need to prove myself to anyone. But I'm, it's part of this idea, like Hollywood movies, where yeah, exactly. like a, a, a five foot five foot five woman just like destroys 10 massive oh, guys in a fist fight. I'm going to get to that actually, because I watched a film from Netflix and this actually has traumatized me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the thing is, the fact that we're having this conversation about what men and really, women really want, that's a step in the right direction. Yeah. Because if you choose, if you have that information and you choose to ignore it and you still choose to go on in the way that you, you, you want to, fine. But I think by 2030, women, half of women over 30 are going to be single and unmarried. So wow. it's it's going downhill pretty fast. And I, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but men that are clued up and are realizing realizing this are not going for those kinds of women. No. And I, I've actually, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. In my experience, I've had loads of guys saying, oh, I actually don't date white British women because the family values are out of whack. They're not feminine. They don't stay feminine for very long. They're just fit for like five, 10 years and then it goes downhill and stuff like that. So I have people saying, oh, you know, I want a traditional African woman. I'm like, <laughs> what exactly do you mean there? <laughs> because are you going to call me your chocolate Beyonce? Because I've had that. I've had that in France and I'm like, not, not here for it again. But, you know, I think the fact that we're having those conversations are a step in the right direction. Also, Hollywood is to blame. Yeah. yeah. Hollywood is to blame. When I see these miniature women that are like five foot five, and I'm five foot five, I live in heels because I'm so short. And they, I see them in the superhero films, like they're beating up these men or they're boss babes. I just think, but why? Because mm. it's a lie. I couldn't, I, I literally couldn't beat up anything. Why, why have you, and it's these films that come out and they're just glorifying promiscuity mm. and these women just re acting really unfeminine. And I, I watched this film the other day, which is, I've, look, my, my, I know I have a bad taste in films. I enjoy Fast and Furious and romantic <laughs> comedies. I like my entertainment low IQ. So really anything Netflix puts out shouldn't be th that bad. This was the worst film I'd ever seen. And it's because within 10 minutes of watching it, this girl, this young girl, nice waitress, was accusing this guy of casual misogyny. I was like, okay, well, <laughs> we've set the standard there. And then halfway through the film, it's like it zooms out of her flat and there are four flags hanging out of her flat. And it's, one is a BLM flag, one is an LGBT flag, one, another bullshit flag. And I just think, they're not even subtle with the messaging. Mm. So they really want you to know that they don't approve of certain lifestyles and they want you to aspire to be that boss babe and that if you don't have... A, a sort of a certain image or persona you're dull and I'm like I don't think anyone would ever meet me and think I'm dull right and I don't have to prove myself to anyone in terms of how intelligent I am but I want to take care of a man right I want to take care of my family I'm a really good cook I come from and I'm, I'm basically like my mother right my mother never she wouldn't even let me leave the house dressed a certain way she I've never seen her look raggedy my mom came to a parent teacher meeting when I was in school here and someone's like oh your mother's such a diva I'm like no <laughs> she's a woman <laughs> but you know what I mean I that's, that's all I know that's, yeah. and I'm so grateful that I've been insulated in that way because yeah. now I see like I swipe through my brother's dating I was like Hoo. he's like why are you swiping left and all of them I was like because they're awful and I would never let you bring any of them to this house mm. It's a, it's a funny point you make about um, the manosphere and, and how men who are clued up aren't doing that. Yeah. People are often saying to me, well, you've just had a baby boy. It's not a good time to, to be a man, is it? And I'm like, it's a fucking great time to yeah. be a man as long as you recognize the bullshit and ignore it. Right? Exactly. And if you are prepared to remain a man while all of this is happening, there are plenty of women out there who are also not into the bullshit. Yeah. And part of it is that 
you know, at a basic level, you can change the the, the software, but the hardware is the same. And it's, it's been there for thousands, tens of thousands of years. It's not going anywhere. You mm. can try to change the software. You can put all the yeah. crappy updates in there that you want. The hardware is the hardware. And exactly. at the end of the day, most women eventually want a man to settle down with, to have kids with. They may want to work or not. That's a different issue. But like if- At least do something they enjoy, right? Yeah. Not like sort of office administration. And But I also think, you know, and when I, I, I'll probably touch on the point of humility, right? Because other than the humility to know what each other wants, also the humility to be honest with yourself. Like, I think a lot of women have really, really, really high standards. And I say this as like a self-identified princess. Like, <laughs> uh, my dad calls me, hello, princess. I'm like, mm, daddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know this about myself. But I also think, I don't think it's reason, like every everything is, a, they're trade-offs. Everything is a trade-off, right? You might want a guy who's established and older and rich, but you know, he comes with a lot of baggage because to get that established and, you know, rich and whatever, you know, he's had to deal with a lot. He, his patient worse, worse than, he kind of wants a woman that looks a certain way. If you're not in the age bracket that he wants too bad, maybe you waited too long, just get real with yourself. Just be honest. And it's fine because at the end of the day, what you're looking for is a stability and to build something that really matters. Not going for this glossy kind of Ken, perfect Ken doll that you can flash to the world. I don't, I don't think that really matters. And as someone, my dad is my dad is very successful, but he, he's really had to grind. Mm. And whenever I tell him about like, oh, I went on a date with this guy, he'd be like, is he focused? He doesn't ask me what car did he bring or mm. where, how did he dress? He obviously he doesn't want some hobbit in his house. Mm-hmm. But the, the point is, he just say, is he focused? Because he knows that's something that I can work with. Cause he knows me exactly. He was like, look, Kukwa, you, you're very intelligent. You're very feminine. You're very all this, but you need someone that is on that wavelength. Because if you, if you want to build with a man like that, you need a man who's looking for that woman mm-hmm. to build with. You can't, you can't put a sort of square peg in a round hole. It doesn't fit. It needs, it just needs to go together. Focus mm-hmm. is such an attractive quality in a man, particularly because that's, that's the currency of, of masculinity is doing Drive stuff. and focus Drive, and yeah, discipline create, and yeah. consistency. And yeah. I think one of the things I, I, I mean, I, when I was, um, my, one of my ex used, used to say, you never bother me. And I was mm. like, why? I was like, I've been quiet for this. I'm like, well, I'm assuming you're working. You're doing something mm. busy. And he was like, why do you think like that? I was like, because that's what my dad does, mm. right? I don't always spend time with my dad. I haven't seen my dad since December, 2020 because of the pandemic. Mm but I know he's he's working. And then he'll send me messages of a project he's finished. And I'm like, yay, my daddy's a, you know? And I, I praise him and he knows I'm very, very proud of him. But he also knows that he's raised me to know that the kind of man you want is not gonna be sitting around, always having time for you. He does not gonna message you 24 seven. You need to be, you need to understand that. You need to be able to keep yourself busy. That's why I'm the kind of person that loves to learn new things and always do things. I'm crazy enough to be spinning on a pole in my underwear. <laughs> but it's fun for me and I'm. it's a net, positive for everyone because I'm taking care of myself to the best of my ability to know that I'm enough for you and I can be what you need. And also on a societal level as well, I'm a positive influence. And I think everyone should have that mindset. You need to have strict standards with yourself. Yeah, completely agree. But Esther, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming in. Uh, The last question we always ask is- Before our locals questions. Before our locals questions, uh, is what's the one thing we're not talking about as a society that we really should be? And obviously the question is, who makes a better jollof rice, Nigeria? Ah! You don't need to ask, it's obviously gone in. Um, <laughs> and I say this as a fantastic cook. I, I actually taught my Nigerian ex how to cook jollof, so he had, he's accepted it. Um, really? Yes, he, I, I taught him at uni and I, well, I used to make it. And he's like, can you show me in case you dump me? I was like, okay. Um, and, <laughs> and I showed him, he was like, no, it's legit. I actually probably talked him how to cook properly. Um, and then she dumped him anyway. Yeah. Well, he had to go back home. Um, but one of the things I <laughs> think- It sounds better you saying that than me saying that. Yeah, to go I, back I, I home. Never slag to go off back home. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he pissed off his dad. No, I, I never slag off. That's another thing. A woman or anyone that slags off their exes, run. 
um, because there's no personal responsibility there. You chose them. Um, I think one thing we're not talking about enough that we should be talking about is probably abortion. I know that's really heavy, mm. but I, I really, I really, really hate the attitude that we have towards it. Like it's just a black or white issue. Like I watched this comedian. I don't remember who it was, but she was like, it's my body, my show. I was like, no, at that point, it's, your, it's not your body. It's an apartment, right? And you're sharing <laughs> with a co-tenant, which I thought was really funny. But I, I think, and regardless of what side you lean on, I don't like this idea that we, we make it not a moral issue. It's clearly a moral issue, mm. right? Because what's growing inside you is not a chair, but at the same time as well, there are circumstances like a woman being raped or being underage. That's like, well, you know, it's, it's, it's really sad, but that, that line is very divided. Right. And I think the fact that contraception is free and readily available in the UK and one in four pregnancies are aborted by young women that really 50 years ago would have been married in a family and having those children, I think it's a huge blight on society. And I think when we're at the point now where people are really just not having kids because they can't afford a home or all the basic things, I think it's, it's, it's suicidal that we're not really having constructive conversations about that because there's so many issues that I have around how we talk about abortion. And I admire the Americans as passionate as they are for at least recognizing that it's a moral issue, at least in the middle ground, not on the fringe ends where there's like, it's just a polyp or, you know, it's murder on the other side. You know what I mean? We've had great conversations on this show with uh, Anne Firedi and Dr. Callum Miller from the both pro and and, uh, anti side. Uh, But I think actually it comes back to the very good point that you made earlier in this conversation, which is I actually don't know that we would need to talk abortion quite as much as I think we do need to talk about it now. If some of the family stuff that you were talking about earlier was in a different place. Yeah, absolutely. And and just, I, I think... That's one of the biggest problems that we face. I don't think society. people understand. And I, I don't know, to be honest, I don't know the extent to which my profile is going to grow or to, to the extent to which my voice regarding societal issues in this mm. in this country will grow enough. But if it does, and I'm really hoping I'm blessed it will, that's something I really, really want to talk about. But I also want to reflect that in my own life. Yeah. I don't want to just be that kind of person that's harping on about it. One, I've seen it. I've, I've grown up in that family. I've seen the benefits of it. But also I want my life to imitate that. And I want people to see that it is possible. Um, and I just want men and women to be better, particularly um, women, because I think we've been fed so many lies. Well, a great note to end on. Esther, thank you so much thank for coming you. on the show. Really pleasure to chat with you. A really great pleasure to chat with you. Uh, we're going to ask you a couple of questions from our locals. But in the meantime, where can people find you and follow your work? <laughs> if you dare on Twitter. <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're bold enough, um, Esther K underscore K. I'm on Twitter. I do a lot of work for talk. So you can see me on Piers Morgan's show, Uncensored, Piers Morgan Uncensored, or The Talk, which is a panel show on Talk TV. Um, but I also do, I also write for the Daily Mail and the Daily Express as well. So all over. Fantastic. Perfect. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for watching and listening. We'll see you very soon with another brilliant episode like this one or our show. All of them go out at 7 p.m. UK time. And for those of you who like your trigonometry on the go, it's also available as a podcast. Take care and see you soon, guys. And I have a lot to say about kind of um, the dinghies and people that are coming across the channel because I actually, and I say I have a really personal experience with someone who um, did that trip across the Mediterranean, but he's in Italy now. Well, Esther, I know we've got to local questions, yeah. but this is really interesting. If you've got time, yeah. tell, tell us about that.
Before you go, consider joining our exclusive member feed. As a member, you'll get ad-free and extended interviews. Click the membership link in the podcast description or find the exclusive episodes link on your podcast listening app to join us.